welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a show for SaaS founders and product people. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and in this season we talk about user onboarding with fellow founders and guest experts. And our awesome guest today is the amazing Rand Fishkin, the famous co-founder of SparkToro, and we're going to talk about their onboarding experience at SparkToro and also lessons learned from Moz. This show is brought to you by Userlist, the best way for SaaS founders to send onboarding emails, segment your users based on events, and see where your customers get stuck in the product. Start your free trial today at userlist.com. Hi, Rand. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. We're absolutely excited. Thanks for being a highlight of our show, such a such a famous name, such a famous persona. <laughs> I don't know about any of that, but happy to help other SaaS founders. That's definitely an area of passion for me. Before we dive into the main topic, could you tell us, in case some of our listeners have not been following you online, so your a little bit of your background story and what you're up for today with SparkToro? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I initially started a company called Moz as a blog, and then it became a consulting company helping folks with uh, search engine optimization, and then a software company in 2007. And I was the CEO of that company for seven years. We, we grew to about $30, $40 million in recurring revenue. I stepped down from the CEO role in 2014 and stayed at the company another few years and then left in 2018, about two and a half years ago, and the next day started SparkToro, which is also a software as a service company. This one is focused on audience intelligence and market research. So understanding your audience and figuring out where they go online, what they do, what they listen to, watch, visit, which podcasts they listen to, stuff like that. So different field from Moz, but still in the web marketing space. So most of our customers tend to be marketers, startup founders, and agencies, consultants, those types of folks. Tell us more about your team setup and uh, who's doing what and where you are. <laughs> you've been out for about two years, but you've been in beta for quite a while, right? Yeah, we only launched SparkToro in April of 2020, aka the worst time to launch a new company in 90 years. <laughs> <laughs> and there's only two of us. So Casey and I, Casey joined the team last in May of 2018. And then we raised a little bit of money. We raised a very unique round of funding. So not venture capital, which I had done at Moz, but instead for SparkToro, we raised a really unique round of angel financing that lets us maintain an LLC and pay profits out as dividends. It's quite unique. If, if folks, if any SaaS founders are interested, you can, you can Google SparkToro funding. We actually open sourced our docs so that you could use them to fundraise for yourself if you wanted. And a few startups already have, which is super cool. And so did a fund, the Tiny Seed Fund, which is Rob Wallings out in Minnesota, uses the SparkToro uh, funding methodology. So we're, we're essentially trying to build a profitable 
potentially slower growth, but we could we could grow at whatever rate is profitable type of company. And as a result, there's only the two of us. So the team is small. But Jane, we do use a lot of consultants, contractors, agencies, you know, we have a contractor who who does design work for us, uh, Monty Hayton out of Australia, who's amazing. We've got a great UI UX person who helped us with um, a lot of the early feedback and stuff. Uh, Christine Rayu, who I worked with at Moz, and we're we've been using agencies to help with uh, a lot of the sort of product improvements and onboarding. Uh, we did a bunch of onboarding work with conversion rate experts this summer. And you also shared your experience with your previous company, Moz, in a pretty famous book called uh, Lost and Founder, which I happily read last year, oh, uh, I think. cool. And it was so honest of you to share all the details and ups and downs of your journey there. Yeah, thank you. It was a very cathartic experience writing that book and then having it published. And also, it's been amazing, Jane, like talking to entrepreneurs like yourself who you know, read the book and like, oh my gosh, these, these chapters or these experiences really resonated with me. And I could feel the pain that I went through too. I think a lot of that stuff, even though it felt like a unique experience is not that unique. Like many, many people experience similar challenges and pain. What were the biggest takeaways from Moz that helped you avoid some critical mistakes at SparkToro, for example? Yeah, well, I mean, SparkToro is so relatively new that it's it's hard to say. But one of the, I think, one of the biggest lessons, especially from the product side of things, was at Moz we got lured into the very common kind of tech startup concept of launching MVPs, like building a minimally viable version of some product that we hoped could help our customers and then launching it and figuring that we would improve it over time. And uh, I learned two very important lessons with Moz along that front. One was if you have a big audience, if you have a lot of people who are going to pay attention to your launch, putting out a minimally viable product is a terrible idea, one that will quickly ruin your reputation and make your customers and potential customers flee to your competitors. And in addition to that, I think that Moz also taught me that if you are building product, you need to consistently invest in upgrades, in feature enhancements, and improvements, and build a culture around that. I think one of the things that Moz did very foolishly, and at my direction, like this is completely my fault, was we kept trying to launch more new things instead of improve the things that were already working and that our customers already loved and were using. And I think that was a, a big mistake or new sort of big features around our suite of SEO software. And I, in retrospect, what we should have done was concentrate, focus on building the things and, and in, investing in making those features people were already using better and better uh, and the data better and better. So that is a regret and something that I absolutely intend to correct with SparkToro and just keep focused on keeping very narrow focus on the on the product and data that we that we've got. And then the second potentially even more relevant is we 
really bought into the idea popularized by the lean startup and, and by a lot of Silicon Valley tech companies of the MVP, the minimally viable product. And we launched a lot of what I would call, you know, crappy first versions that got the job done, but did not really impress anyone. And as a result, over time, Moz built up this reputation for a number of years of being a place that launched crappy software, right? And that had poor quality versions of uh, features and data and all these kinds of things. And if you've got a big audience like we did, right? Moz had a big audience. Even when I launched SparkToro, right? We had built up an email list of, I think, 16,000, 17,000 people who had signed up to be notified when we launched, right? Because we, we took about 18 months to build and launch the product. And yeah, that, that's a ton of people paying attention to what we were doing. And when when we launched, we had to have a really, really excellent first version. So we did a lot of beta testing. We refined the product, sort of overhauled it twice in terms of the interface and, and how it sort of conveyed data and those sorts of things. And I think those were both really big improvements. I'm really glad we did them. I'm glad we waited to launch, even though it meant we launched in the middle of a pandemic and recession, because adoption was was quite good when we finally did come out. Let's give a brief recap of what your product does and who you target as an audience. And I think you answered a little bit of that already. Yeah, sure. So SparkToro is, has a really simple, basic function, right? It is a tool to instantly discover what your audience reads, watches, listens to, and follows. And we're really trying to replace the survey questions and, and interview process where you might try and ask your customers or potential customers, hey, what podcasts do you listen to? What YouTube channels do you subscribe to? What websites do you visit? What uh, sources of influence do you pay attention to? What social accounts do you follow and engage with? Asking those questions tends to get really poor answers. And instead, what you want to do is go and get that latent data that's sitting out there on the public web from all these public social profiles and aggregate that data so that you can see exactly what an audience pays attention to. So we can tell you, SparkToro can tell you what architects in Canada are listening to or what chemical engineers in the UK are visiting, or what software as a service chief product officers are engaging with, or, or what people who talk about vaccine logistics online are uh, reading, right? And, and that data is super, super useful for setting up your marketing strategy for informing, you know, uh, doing better targeting with your Facebook and Google display and YouTube ads. It's great for digital PR and figuring out, you know, where to pitch uh, your story or coverage or, or getting featured on, you know, a webinar or invited to a podcast or to contribute to an article. It's even great for finding you know, one-to-one -one sorts of sponsorships and advertising. And it so far, you know, we've had, I think, somewhere around 350, 400 customers. And about half of those are agencies and consultants. And the other half are like B2C and B2B companies with marketing teams who do 
social media and content marketing and digital PR, that kind of thing. So that's that's the product. It looks like you're fairly lucky that your product can deliver the value straight away. It's basically they can open it, type in a query, and like, voila, like kid in a candy shop of influencers and everything like that. So are there any big roadblocks that your users stumble across on their way to receiving value? Hmm, interesting. So we do, you know, we were working with, I mentioned that we, the, we were with an agency uh, conversion rate experts this summer. And during that time, we did an analysis looking at what percent of people made it all the way through to the results of their first query and then like ran additional queries and those kinds of things. I think the two biggest stumbling blocks for our users or potential users are one, figuring out how to describe their audience. So just we we find that people get a little bit stymied by the search box. They see my audience frequently talks about or you know they there's a drop down my audience uses these words in their profile, my audience follows the social account. And I think some people just don't not some people, a lot of people when they're faced with that they're like gosh, I don't have a way to describe the audience that I want to reach. Which I think that's another level of marketing and customer acquisition challenge that just a lot of people haven't figured out the, the strategic, who are my customers? <laughs> so they can't even get to the, how should I reach them? Because they don't know how to describe them. So that's the first uh, stumbling block. I think that over time, we might be able to help people with that by asking them instead for their website and then trying to you know, latently figure out who their audience might be and then giving them suggestions of searches to do based on... Because for example, if you plug in a website to SparkToro, we can tell you the job roles and titles, the words and phrases those people often use in their content and shares online, all that kind of stuff. So we might be able to to find a way to do that. The second stumbling block and one that we actually solved much better was the process of performing a search and getting to the results and then clicking into a particular tab, right? So so saying like, oh yeah, cool. You can tell me all this data about my audience. Now I want to see what words and phrases they use or what hashtags are popular with this audience. Or I want to see which YouTube channels they subscribe to. I want to see what podcasts they listen to. I want to see which social accounts they follow. Getting folks to that next step was a challenge for us until this summer. And now, you know, now it's it's gotten much better. We sort of revamped the first initial landing page, the way it the way it looked and presented data and the ordering of that data and found, yeah, better results. So now we see more people performing more queries and more people clicking through from the first overview of those results into a particular tab. And as a result, you know, we're, we're seeing an increase in conversion rate to paid accounts, which is great, and an increase in free signups, which is also great. We still have about, I think it's only about 10% of people who perform a search get to the register interstitial step and then abandon. So we, when we did that analysis chain, we were like, well, 10% isn't too bad. I don't know. You would know more about this than I would. <laughs> but you know, I felt like, oh, okay, 10%, that's not terrible. Like, I don't know how much improvement we have to go there. 
How do you actually track the user's progress inside your app? What kind of success metrics do you observe and what kind of software do you use for analytics? It's pretty simplistic. So Casey, my my co-founder, has some instrumentation that he's set up, I guess you'd call it, you know, manually or custom built that that tells us about, you know, people who how many queries on average are run and we assign those to users, right? So we have an admin panel that we can see that data in. Uh, we can see folks who make it from one page to another. We use Google Analytics. It's pretty simplistic. We don't have a lot of... In fact, I don't think we have any other analytics tracking other than the custom stuff that Casey built. And then, oh, no, that's not true. We use Hotjar as well. That was a recommendation from, again, from conversion rate experts. And they yeah, set that up. So I think we're actually using their account for that and seeing the heat map of like people who scroll to certain areas of pages and what they click on and where they don't, that kind of thing. How has your user onboarding evolved over the last few months when you started learning on about how users actually using your product? Yeah, I mean, for us, the process, and you can tell me whether, whether you think this is the wise way to go about it, but the, the process for us was essentially figure out where we had opportunities to improve and then go try and invest in those, right? So we we thought our biggest opportunities were based on you know looking at the at the data, looking at the data two ways. We had analytics data, right, telling us where people made it in the use of the app and the different pages that they visited and those kinds of things. And we also ran a pretty large survey in I think it was the end of June, beginning of July, with recommendations from the CRE folks that basically asked questions about like, how were people getting value? What were they attempting to do with the product? What stopped them from getting the value they hoped for? What surprised them? What might have confused them? So a lot of that subjective answers. And we had, I think, 750 plus free users answer that survey, which was awesome, right? That's like a big hulking data set to go through. And we had about 100 of our paying customers, which I think at the time was like almost half of our paying customers who also answered that. And so then we could like see the difference between the you know people who were paying for the product and what value did they get? How is that different from the people who weren't subscribing to it? What was going on there? And yeah, that was a incredible you know source of information for us to be able to apply essentially fixes, right? Things that we thought, oh, okay, there's a lot of people who, whatever, don't understand what they're seeing and and how and why. Because this, you know, unlike the SEO software market, like my old company, Moz, right? <laughs> SEO software over the last two decades has become pretty standard. Like marketers are very familiar with it. People know what to expect. It's like, yeah, I'm going to track my rankings. I'm going to track my links. I'm going to see how I do com versus competitors. I'm going to get keyword research, whatever. This world of market research audience intelligence, people do not, they don't have a sense. Like we're, we're often, if not always, the only product they've ever used in this space at all. So there's just no familiarity with like, what should I expect? How should I be using this, right? And so I think from our, like on our end, like we have to make it really simple. 
we have to make it very straightforward, very obvious, and um, and very clear what the data does for you, how to use it, what to expect when you perform those searches, right? What what am I going to get when I search SparkToro? And so, uh, yeah, a bunch of changes around that, including just the like the homepage when you get to the homepage and you know, figuring out what SparkToro does. I think we previously kind of described it as being, oh, you can get an audience intelligence about any describable group online. People are like, what? I don't get it. Doesn't make any sense. And then changed it in July to instantly discover what your audience reads, watches, listens to, and follows. People are like, okay, I got it. So I'm going to type in an audience and you're going to tell me what they read, watch, listen to, and follows. I got it. Okay. And that seems to seems to be helping. Yeah, the numbers are getting better. And then I think, you know, some folks are getting more familiar with it and word of mouth is helping as well. And lots of podcasts. I do I do a ton of podcasts <laughs> and talk about the product, right? So like, I think people are picking up on that from it as well. But it's it's a challenge when you're doing something new. I'm just curious how you do SEO because you are somewhat inventing a product category Yeah. based on what you just said. So it's not like people are going to type, I need audience intelligence. No. It's more like very much of learning from your like uh, influencer hello <laughs> effect and then learning about the product and the amazing things it can do, right? Right, right. And I think this is the super interesting part is that we are, in a way, we're almost like, you know, we're dog fooding because we use the same marketing tactic that we sort of, or, or strategy that we are helping folks with through SparkToro. So it's not the case that we're getting a lot of SEO traffic and I'm not doing much SEO. Most of the blog posts that I'm publishing are around, I'd call it more in the thought leadership and education, top of funnel type of education stuff, and not around a lot of keywords and search phrases that are already popular. So we're really, you know, my goal is not to rank number one for audience intelligence, that would be kind of useless. Almost no one searches for that. I don't know, maybe it gets like 50 searches a month, if that. And, and probably most of those people are people who listen to podcasts where I talk about audience intelligence, right? So instead, right, my, my goal is to get lots of people searching for SparkToro and thinking about whether kind of the strategy of digital PR, right, appearing in all the places where their audience already pays attention is a worthwhile marketing investment for them to make. And yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like it's a complete 180 from what I did at Moz because it's almost no SEO. I almost never do keyword research anymore. It's interesting that UserList is my second SaaS project. And with the first one, I kind of invented a category. And with this time, I was like, this has got to be a category that is full of competitors. Like everybody know what it does. And yet again, we stumbled across the same problem, not a specific keyword for what we do. Like oh, you can yeah. call it email automation. You can call it customer messaging, behavior-based targeted uh, email campaigns. See, and like uh, dozens of combinations of these. So <laughs> it's, I guess it's, it, an existing category doesn't, doesn't really guarantee you some keywords. So that's really, <laughs> it's really a pain. <laughs> I, I wonder if... 
part of it is being an entrepreneur and like recognizing that there's a problem in the space that is unsolved. And so you want to solve it in a unique way. And then whenever you do that, you're, you're creating either a category or a subcategory or a micro category at least. And so there's no kind of perfect keywords, but I, in a lot of ways, I think that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's much better to build, <laughs> you know, build something unique, make make the world a little bit richer with more offerings than sort of, oh, yeah, I'll just copy what this other company is doing and try to do it slightly better. You operate at a freemium model. You have a forever free plan, which which is one. It's awesome for the marketing side, but it can also be rather dangerous for for a business. What is a deliberate decision? Was it a no-brainer from day one? How did you arrive there? We actually changed our decision around how we were going to do free users versus paid in March when the when the pandemic started taking over the world and you know we knew that there was going to be significant economic repercussions and and obviously you know I think there's been huge amounts of GDP loss across almost every economy and that you know Casey and I sort of got our put our heads together and said hey let's recognize that a lot of people a lot of marketers who would have probably tried SparkToro and paid for it are going to be very limited in their budget this year and probably next year too. And so instead, let's offer a forever free plan. Let's make that a more generous free plan than we had initially intended. And let's try and capture you know, a lot of folks who are going to get value from a free plan and then we'll monetize them in the future. Right, we we have enough in the bank, enough savings that you know we can survive for a few more years. We can keep our costs low and focus on getting to profitability, and then we will, you know, serve many many folks in the future as their budgets return and they're ready to make more marketing investments. And so that yeah, that forever free plan with the ten free searches a month that refresh uh, that came out of those those conversations. And I think it's, you know, it's worked relatively well. We're averaging somewhere around a hundred new free users a day over the last, you know, three months or so. And we feel pretty good about that, right? I feel like what's awesome is I, you know, I see people on Twitter and LinkedIn and an email saying like, oh, I really love SparkToro. And they're, they're just using it for free, right? But they're getting a ton of value. I think that's a, you know, it's nice to be able to offer that generosity and like see people getting value from your product. And then when folks have need for heavier use or more detail in there, they, they, they subscribe to the, the paid plan. So it works pretty well. What is the conversion rate if, if it's not a trade secret, of course, oh, um, sure. between the free users and the paid plans? It's it's pretty low. About 2.5% of free users become paid customers. So not that's not terrible. I think that's decent. What's your philosophy about it? Are you kind of fine and uh, you know more like <laughs> we're in the hands of luck there or are you doing anything proactively to convert free users into paying customers? 
we have a little bit of a you you've seen it right so you when you sign up for SparkToro you like you register which means we get your email address you sort of go through a little onboarding tour that walks you through the product you can close it if you're sort of not interested and then there's right now it's one email but we we worked with conversion rate experts on an email onboarding sequence that we'll sort of offer to folks so you'll have like the option to get this onboarding sequence of i think it's is it seven or eight emails over sort of four or five weeks so like one email every three to four days and those are personal emails that kind of come from me and have advice and tips and tricks for like how to use your first 10 searches and what to do with them uh, right now we just send one email I think it's 12 or 24 hours after you sign up. That's basically like, hey, is there anything that I can help you with? It's just a, it's like a personal email from me, from my account. And tons of people, honestly, Jane, like a third of my day every day is just answering people who have written back and said like, oh, I was trying to do this with the product or like, I want help with this. Or can you help me find this audience? Or here's my marketing goals. Can you help me out with that? And and lots of other things too, like tons of people you know, ask if I'll go look at something that they're doing and and help them with marketing stuff. People ask me like, hey, do you have any recommendations for an SEO agency? <laughs> like, okay, I can help with that too. <laughs> um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of different conversations, but that that's really valuable for us, right? Like that's, so that's kind of the nudge that we're using right now to, I, I guess, convert people or at least help them get more value from the tool. What areas of your product slash business can be, do you think require more work? Like where do you think you could do better? And if user onboarding and activation is among those things? Yeah, let's see. One of the biggest ones, I don't know, it depends on which queries you tried. But if you go to SparkToro now and do a non-English search, or you search in a geography where English is not the primary language, we have some messaging around, hey, our data coverage of this is not great yet. That is almost certainly one of the biggest areas for opportunity and expansion, right? So we, I think, see almost half of our users come from non-English language countries. And they are, they're all basically getting frustrated and turned away because SparkToro just doesn't, it doesn't work for them. And we don't want to like shut them out. But at the same time, we want to proactively message like, hey, sorry, we don't have data in your region yet. We, we're, we're trying to get there. Like, We'll eventually get coverage um, for non-English profiles. I think next year, we're going to try and do German and Spanish and then probably expand and add stuff like Portuguese and French and Italian and some other languages. But yeah, it's, it, that's for sure a huge opportunity because like half of our, you know, half our audience there. I think the other one to be totally honest, is trying to find a way to help people who don't, who struggle to understand what to search for. Like they don't have a clear and obvious way to describe their users, or it's just a mentally challenging um, model for them to think of a way to describe their audience. And so they don't perform that first search. I think that is also a an opportunity for, you know, changing the user experience or offering another user experience that might be something like, hey, describe your audience or tell us your website. 
And if you tell us your website, then we can go try and figure out who we think your audiences might be, and you can analyze those folks. As we're wrapping up today's episode, what are the two ultimate tips that you could give to our listeners when it comes to user onboarding in their products? One do and one don't. Yeah, one one do. I was amazed, amazed at how much information we got from running those surveys, like asking people, you know, asking people questions like, what did you want to accomplish? What's your job and role? What did you hope SparkToro would help you with? What did it help you with? Or what did you find frustrating? Just the the color and depth of those answers, especially across hundreds of respondents, was huge. I, I would absolutely encourage anyone who's trying to do onboarding or improve their improve their conversion rate, improve their engagement rate, improve their usage to ask those kinds of questions to their audience at scale, customers and non-customers. I think that's huge. Do not... I think one of the things that we did... Not poorly, I want to say, but we we worked really, really hard at Moz to do one-on-one types of onboarding, like to try and get people to agree to whatever, a, a, a phone call or a, you know, a demo from a customer service person, um, a customer onboarding specialist. And it was really frustrating to find that, you know, less than 20% of those people could we ever get on calls. A ton of folks scheduled calls, but then wouldn't show up for them, which of course, like then customer onboarding specialists are spending all this time wasted. Honestly, we should have taken all those dollars and resources and just invested in making the product better and more self-service. Like I think, you know, there's two kinds of, there's sort of two kinds of products out there. There's products that require someone to onboard you, in which case you should require one-on-one onboarding and you should have a team built out for that. And there's products that are supposed to be self-service. Right, Moz is supposed to be self-service. SparkToro is obviously self-service, and you, you've got to build and optimize for those audiences. I think having a the hybrid model is really tough, really, really tough. It's interesting because coming from the field of email automation, we have great examples of Drip and ConvertKit in front of our eyes. That white glove concierge onboarding was a recipe for success for them. Sure. And you're absolutely opposite direction of that. And you're use, used to dealing with audiences at scale. I have one little follow-up question about the surveys. What you're asking is incredibly important. It feels like you have something from jobs to be done here. Uh, are there any resources our listeners can use to compile a great survey for their audience? Ooh, that's such a good question. You know what I honestly want to do? I want to ask... I'm going to ask the conversion rate experts folks if I can share the template of survey questions that they asked, right? So we basically got things, you know, really obvious things like name and email and, you know, what does your company do and describe your role. Uh, And we ask about how they heard of us and what did they use us? Why did they sign up? What were you trying to do with it? We asked people... One of the smartest questions I thought they asked was, before you registered for your free account, how would you have described SparkToro to a colleague? Which that really helped us 
narrow in on like how to describe our product externally because people who got it, especially paid customers, described it very differently from free users, especially the free users who didn't engage. Right. So we, you know, we got a lot of that like discover what my audience listens to, watches, reads, follows. That came from how a lot of our paying subscribers described what the product did. I love that question. I've used it a few times in UI breakfast service for, for my other podcast. Yeah. And the question sounds like, have you recommended us to other people, which tunes them into, you know, the sharing mode? And then if so, how did you describe yeah. us? Uh, so, nice. So that that is nice. <laughs> Another one of what I think Ashley Green, growth expert, recommended that question was if this product was taken away from you, like how how bad would that be for you and how you would replace it and, and things like that. So that's another interesting angle. Yeah. When we asked early in our research, as we were building the product, we asked people a similar one. We asked like, how do you currently discover what your audience listens to, watches, reads so that you can go do marketing in those places? And the frustrating part of those answers were, you know, it's a lot of manual research and interviews and surveys, but also a lot of, I just throw money at Google and Facebook and let them sort it out. <laughs> and we were like, oh, well, that's why they're monopolies. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Rand, for joining us today and sharing your wisdom. It's been great. If people want to read more of your stuff, listen more of you and follow your product, where can they do that? You can follow me. I'm most active on Twitter where I'm at Randfish and I share a lot of you know, stuff around SaaS and, and marketing. And if you are interested in SparkToro, you can go try it for free forever at sparktoro.com. Awesome. Thanks so much once again and have a wonderful rest of your day. You too, Jane. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you found the episode useful, please spread the word about this new show on Twitter, mentioning UserList, or leave us a review on iTunes.